Hello, my name's Jane Dacre. Welcome to this Medical Women Talking podcast. Medical Women Talking is a series of recordings of informal interviews with a range of women doctors from different specialties and backgrounds who've had successful careers in medicine. I'm a proud physician and have had the privilege of a very fulfilling career. As I get older and have reflected on my own journey, I've become increasingly passionate about helping other women to achieve their potential in medicine. Combining life and a career can be challenging, and it sometimes feels extremely difficult to keep going. The women in these conversations have all found a way to thrive and have achieved great things. I hope that you'll be inspired by their stories. The podcasts are available to download in any order so that you can listen and be inspired whilst doing other things. Happy listening. This podcast is particularly poignant. I'm interviewing Dame Claire Marks. She's been an inspiration to many and is well known for being the first woman to chair the British Orthopaedic Association, the Royal College of Surgeons of England and the General Medical Council. Sadly, she died from pancreatic cancer 10 days after we made this recording. In spite of her illness, she was determined to leave her voice for future generations of medical women. Well, my name's Claire, Claire Marks, although I am married, Claire Fane, and um, I've been very lucky in that I've been... Um, been awarded uh, the honorific of the of Damehood, Dame of the command, Dame Commander of the Order of the British Empire, which is a bit of a mouthful. So, um, and I regard that as a particular honour because I'm very, very aware that for a very long time women were not recognised in the same way as men were in the honours system, and to be one of the ones that has been recognised is particularly pleasing. Well, that is one of a number of pretty amazing uh, contributions that you've made. So how about your your career? How did it start? Why did you decide to do medicine? I, it's very difficult when you look back that really long haul. But I, I mean, some people would say it was because I cut my finger when I was age seven. Some people would say that I saw my father being ill when I was sort of a medical student. But, but of course, by then I'd already decided to do medicine. Um, undoubtedly, I think that uh, my mother getting me some work experience with a local surgeon made me think about not just doing medicine, but doing surgery. And I think that was a, a really important part of my career. And I think it's just that wonderful combination of art and science, of uh, being able to care, being able to compute, being able to be endlessly fascinated in other people's lives and trying to work out what makes them work and what doesn't work being able to offer them compassion and, and, and kindness throughout their lives. So all those things that are all part of, of a medical career. Are you the first doctor in your family? Yes. So um, my, my father was an industrial research chemist, my mother a teacher, math teacher, and my grandfather a high court judge. So very much not a medical family. Uh, so I don't know where it came from. Don't know where it came from, Fantastic. So, so you you talked uh, a bit about always being keen on surgery. So that's quite a tough career path, particularly given what you've said um, earlier about women not being recognised. I think surgery is one of the last bastions, is it not? Yes, and, and 
I mean, part of that is that that actually any career in medicine is a tough row to hoe. And I think that's something that people would do well to reflect on now. There isn't an easy route through medicine because it's that combination of learning, acquiring knowledge, giving a bit of yourself when you least want to, that altruistic intent. But then when you come to something like surgery, there is a technical part of it. And I think you have to you have to give it a go and try very early on. And if you're no good at surgery, it's no there's no point in saying I want to be a, a surgeon because I want to be a surgeon and I think it sounds sexy or whatever. You've got to actually be really honest with yourself and say, I can't cut it. There is there is an element of surgery which is intensely practical. It's about organizational, it's about team leading, it's about decision making, and often decision making followed more by more and more decision making because if you get one little decision a little bit wrong you've got to tweak that so you've got to be you've got to know yourself and and recognize when you're going to be good at it and when you're not going to be good at it but what you've also done though is started to take up leadership positions or continued to have the most amazing leadership positions often the first woman to have done so so what how, how did that come about it's sort of hard to to know exactly, but what I suppose I I often did was I looked around at the situation in which I was finding myself, and I was thinking to myself, some of these things have to be done, they have to be organised, they have to be led, and if no one else wants to do it, why shouldn't I offer my thoughts? And what's more, it's always better to be led than to be being dragged along by the nose, and uh, and you can only blame yourself if you get it wrong. So that's where I think it started. But it also started around the whole area of professional behaviours. And there were so many unprofessional behaviours in surgery that very often one of the ways of getting change for for the benefit to everybody was to actually try and lead that change. And uh, often if people would say to me, how on earth are we going to get people to change things? The answer is, you know, you actually have to lay it out in front of you. You have to hold the mirror up and you've got to be brave enough to actually just be still holding it when they they let off steam because they don't like what you're saying. So, um, there, I mean, there are some particular stories that of, of moments in my leadership role, which I, one of which I'll share with you. But um, a, a previous president of the College of Surgeons asked me to go to an event that, that was organised to try and get more women into surgery. And uh, when we got to the event, it was one of these typical events where there are post-its on the wall and you know pink ones and blue ones and all these other things and we had to uh, all, all the women amongst us and indeed a few men had to say what three things we were going to commit our colleges to to um, to improve the chances of there being women, women in surgery so um, I we set off and we posted things everywhere and at the end I got these three things and my three things were Number one was to have a 50-50 leadership programme, men and women, so that men and women could grow together and learn how to their leadership styles and begin to appreciate, take some from some people's styles and take some from others. I thought that was really a very nice sort of thing. And the second one was that um, we should stop swearing in theatres. Now, that, that perhaps was a little bit more aspirational. And the third one, was that we should have a woman president elected as the College of Surgeons. Anyway, when I got back at the end of the day and I went to see the president, 
He said, what have you committed us to? So I said, well, I've committed us to having a 50-50 leadership program, you know, for men and women. He said, hmm, mm, well, we'll see that. And then he, said, then he said, what else? And I said, well, we've, I've, I've committed us to stopping people swearing in theatre. And he said, oh, no, we could never do that. And at the time, I was just rewriting the Good, Medi- Good Surgical Practice Guide. So I said, well, leave it with me. And in fact, eventually what I did was I put into that guide a piece that said that that one shouldn't use undermining or pejorative behaviour. And of course, when it was down in front of everybody, in front of council, no one could stand up and say, I think it's a good idea that we do this. You know, so that was that. And he said, and he then said to me, anything else? And I said, no. (laughs) (laughs) So, of course, you did go on to be the first female president of the college, didn't you? I did. I How did. was that? Tell us about that. Well, I there are some wonderful male colleagues in life and there are some absolutely dreadful people, both men and women. And I have to say, I don't think I've ever been as undermined and bullied as I was when I was president of the college. And But for some really wonderful friends, yourself included, I think it would have been very tough to get through. And that really taught me a big leadership lesson, which is you can't do these things on your own. You have to have really good, solid sounding blocks and friends and people to help and people to give you a a sense of when actually, yes, this is right or no, actually, you're pressing too hard on that button. So I think it's really, really important to be able to to, to share that with 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 sensible friends. But but the old boys and there's no other way of describing it because they were mainly boys were just at times utterly, utterly outrageous. And um, <laughs> you can laugh at it now, but it, at the time it wasn't nice. It really wasn't. So, nice. so um, just, just tell me some of the things that you achieved. There are some fantastic things. What did you achieve? Edited well, highlights. We, we, did, we did, of course, start the first Emerging Women's Leaders Estelle Walson programme. And that was immensely successful and has continued to be with the the really wonderful support of Estelle Wilson and her and her foundation. And uh, then then we um, then we had the whole area of uh, of um, professional behaviours, learning from professional behaviours, publishing about what what people were doing and why things were going wrong in poorly performing areas and, and poorly performing units. And sometimes it's, this is about putting the holding the mirror up to the profession. Very, very important when the the profession itself says this this stuff is is not good enough. And I think it's really that's a really important thing for the. Then of course there was the whole uh, rebuilding of the, the building, the the knocking down of the building, and the 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 starting again, which shortened my life I think probably. But but. Now, when you see it resplendent, and I think most people would say it is resplendent and fit for purpose and available for the next generations, I think it's you know people, most people can see that it was the right thing to do. But but there were lots of other things that just starting some of the leadership fellowships, both at the college and subsequently at the GMC, starting to get women recognised as as actually being able to stand in the footprints of the people who had come before and not being lost in those footprints, but actually having other people, making the footprints a bit smaller so that the, the next lot of women who came along would be able to step into them and move on. And 
just feeling the, that very positive impact of the life enhancement of people who want to do things, but when perhaps a little bit afraid of putting their head above the parapet and they felt emboldened by having someone else ahead of them just to 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 push them along. So so definitely that feeling that there's been a positive impact for the future, which I hope will never go away now. I don't think it will. I think it's an extraordinary uh, position to be a role model. But then you moved on to be a role model somewhere else, too, didn't you? Uh, then, of course, there was the GMC. And, you know, no one loves no one loves the reg- regulator. No one ever thinks they will get it right. But actually trying to change the conversation so that it's done with compassion and understanding and caring and equality. Because, of course, you have to remember this is a system that essentially was built by men for men over hundreds of years. And women's needs and and what they do are very different. That doesn't mean that people should behave differently in terms of their professional behaviours. And I think there is a really, there's a really big problem now, which is that some women think that they should be, they should be treated differently because they're women, not because they actually um, are women with a, a problem, but, but just because people should understand that they're different. They, when men and women are different, but the reality is that we all have professional duties and we have to fulfil them to our, our patients and our colleagues. And um, when people start stepping out of those patterns, then, then there's trouble for everybody. Absolutely. So if you were to reflect on your leadership style, what would you say? That's what people get taught on courses like the Estelle Wolfson course. I've never been quite sure about my leadership style, but I'd like to think that it was um, it was a bit of uh, learning from from the people around me. It's a bit, bit about caring for the people around me. And it's a bit about having fun with the people I'm trying to lead. And uh, I think I've I think I've managed to have all of that. In, in my life yeah and so now more recently you've become a patient uh-huh. does that does that well make a difference to how you reflect on what it's been like as a as a doctor yes and what what I really um and I mean this I think that on the whole doctors are caring and compassion and I think that but sometimes they have got themselves into a mind frame about what can the system can do for me rather than what can I do for the system and I think that's a really tricky place because when when one's being pushed in a very very pressurized system you know of course you don't have that last milk bit of milk of human kindness left and you want someone to look after you and so on but that that is when actually being a true professional shows through because that's when you actually have to dig really deep and find that altruistic moment to be kind to the person in front of you and to look out for them and to advocate, to advocate for the patient. I think that's probably the most important thing. Fantastic. Well, you've been incredibly clear and helpful and have again shown yourself to be a fantastic role model for the the women and, of course, men who are coming through medicine. Is there anything else that that you would like to share? Well, I, I, I think that... Um, there's no career that's entirely milk and honey. And I think that the most important thing is to remember what it is that you can do for your patients, because one can do so much for 
the patients and the teams around them just by that those acts of kindness and fun and as the leader of a team which you certainly are as a doctor people look to you for that leadership what you do is is reflected across the piece and i think i think that's just it's a really really privileged role to carry in life and uh, once you just sort of hold on to it and enjoy it Fantastic. Well, it's been really lovely to talk to you. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of doctors coming through and actually all healthcare professionals will be inspired by your words. So Dame Claire Marks, thank you very much. Thank you for listening. There are many more medical women talking in this series of podcasts. Please have a listen to some of the other inspiring women. You'll definitely find something to inspire you.